0: Hello, I assassinated a JJ, just so you know, <clears throat> that's one assassination, Uh, here's this, <coughs> I like to run everybody, perhaps it is the energy it provides afterwards, or just the feeling of being able to get my heart pumping, feels pretty good, maybe it's because I have had success with it, I'm a pretty competitive fellow, if you have not known. Whatever the reason, since starting college, it's become a hobby, which is kind of funny, because in high school, um, I told the cross country coach that I didn't want to run because I didn't see the purpose in just running for, for no other reason, just to run. Well, thank you, thank you, amen, gosh. Um, but for the record, if you ever listened to this, Coach Jordan Stone, um, I was wrong, you were right. He probably won't listen to this. Um, prior to last October, I had run a few different races. I'd run a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, but a full marathon seemed quite daunting. Has anybody ever run a half before? Run a half? Oh yeah, there's a few out there. Uh, Maybe you can identify with this. Uh, You finish up the half marathon, you're like huffing and puffing, and you're like, oh, if I want to do a full marathon, I just have to turn around and do this again. (laughs) That seems doable. Definitely not. Um, I thought, there is no way on God's green earth I could turn around and run this again. Um, Nevertheless, I wanted to give it a try. So I set my sights on the Kansas City Marathon in October. In hindsight, maybe I should have picked somewhere I don't go, roughly, but once a month, but that's okay. They have a lot of these cool destination marathons. Those are pretty sweet. Um, my original hope was to run the race in October ni- 2019, but I got married. It was a good decision, so <laughs> didn't run it. Uh, yeah. Not really. It was a good decision. Uh, and then October 2020 was a no-go due to the pandemic. Did not happen... But nothing was going to stop me from October 2021. So Julie, Leah, Leah Deeker she's over here somewhere. there she is and I showed up early in the morning, October 16th. Leah and Julie ran the half marathon um, as well, a couple, as well as a couple of our friends. Um, thousands of people had gathered there. There was music, Racers were warming up. The line for the porter potty was longer than the Dairy Queen on Free Cone Day at 5 p.m, because everybody's trying to go to the bathroom before they run. Uh, It felt a little strange, to be honest. Uh, Months of training, many hours. I really wish I had time to calculate the number of hours, but I didn't. Uh, And hundreds of miles were all culminating in this one performance. I was nervous, to say the least. As the race began, I worked hard to set my pace and control my breathing, keeping an eye on the pacer with my goal time of 3.30. If you're not sure what a pacer is, it's a little guy who runs with a stick, and he has a time on it. And if you follow him, theoretically, when you finish, you will finish at the time on that stick. So it helps you keep pace. Uh, As I settled in, I took insights around me. Kansas City is actually a really pretty place if you take the time to look through it, especially early in the morning. Um, At the halfway point, so about 13 miles, most of the crowd around me split off. Most of them were running the half. Uh, And so then I was just kind of by myself. Um, The runners around me became sparse, but the cheers from the onlookers, the water in the pouch on my back, the occasional gel pack, and my Spotify playlist kept me going until my earbuds died, unfortunately. That's okay. Uh, Around mile 21, I could feel the exhaustion kicking in. My legs began to ache a bit, and it took more of an active effort to keep them churning. But I was so close to the home stretch. Around mile 25, I could hear the PA system from the finish line just keep pushing. Smile for the camera, make it seem like you're feeling great. Keep on going. The final quarter mile was all uphill, but I didn't care. I could see the crowd, the finish line, and as I approached the line, I could hear my name announced. Uh, friends and family cheering from the side, and after three hours, nineteen minutes, and twelve seconds of running, I freaking did it! <laughs> I, thank you, freaking crossed the finish line. Uh, I crossed the finish line in front of the Nelson Atkins Museum, uh, nearly eleven minutes before my goal time. My goal was three thirty. Um, so look at this. All the while, I was I was I could barely walk. I was exhausted, but I was full of joy um, at the end. So here it is, this is Julie and I after we finished. Julie had finished the half a little while before, and then I had finished um, the full, and there we are taking a picture in front of the Nelson-Atkins. There's that. Uh, Hey everybody, welcome to CCF. It's good to have you guys on this Wednesday. I I will say, I meant to go home and change before this, so I was wearing sweatpants. My Baptist home church would not be proud of me for this. (laughs) But here I am nonetheless. Uh, I'm also more nervous about my volleyball team that's currently playing. Than I am about this sermon. I don't know how they're doing. So I'd, if they walk in, I'm going to ask. I'm just going to tell you that right now. If one of them walks in. To, yeah, we, we won the first set. So we're waiting. I don't know. Do second. Anyway, um, I'm Nate Komar. I'm one of the six staff members here. Um, and you are joining us in a series on Philippians. Uh, usually we show like a picture of family or whatever. There's Julie. She's my wife. But uh, I don't really have any other pictures, but I do have this that I randomly found in my phone. Oh, did it not get in there? Okay, that's okay. I think I put it in at the very last second. It was just a picture of Julie and I standing next to Bucky. Have you ever been to the big gas station in Texas? Bucky's? The giant, what is he, a gopher? He's a gopher. Beaver, that's a beaver. Okay, yeah, right. Uh, It's freaking huge! We went there to visit Meredith and Tyler Ussery recently, and yes, yes. We visited them at the end of February. Let me just give you an idea if you have not been there. Our gas pump was like number 256, if that tells you anything about how big this place is, okay? So we were next to a, just a big guy in a gopher suit. We're really not missing much, but anyway. Um, okay, so uh, like I said, we're in a series on Philippians. Um, last week, we heard Reed uh, hit us with the first half of chapter three. Um, he talked about the pitfalls of finding our righteousness in our accolades, much as Paul describes. Uh, He talked about the true fulfillment coming through Christ. So the second half of chapter 3, which is what we're going to look at tonight, um, naturally seems like a bit of a continuation. Um, Makes sense. Um, So here it is, Philippians 3, 12 through 21, or, what, the maze was only the beginning, or, take a bite of that joy sandwich, or, my stories for this sermon were like this title, too long. So ask me later to hear the whole thing. I had multiple stories that I wanted to tell, and they were all too long, so... I just have little snippets of them. Um, Ask me later. Um, As we read, can you guys all stand for the reading? Um, So I'm going to go back to verse 8 just to provide a little context, but this is Philippians 3, 8 through 21. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You guys can be seated. So, um, as I said before, this chapter also seems like a sort of properly aligned timeline um, for Paul. So early on in chapter three, back when Reed was talking, he speaks of his past, the sequence of events that would qualify him to boast among his peers. But as a read alluded to, Paul continued on to claim that he counts all of these achievements as rubbish. We saw that just a second ago. From dust to dust they pass away. The only righteousness that lasts comes through Christ. This is the realization that Paul has come to in the present. From there, Paul looks ahead to his goal moving forward. Um, This is where we pick up today. So in verses 12 through 14, um, Paul uses language such as Pressing on and straining forward. Um, very active verbs. Although he has come to the real realization that righteousness and fulfillment can only come through Christ, he has yet to reach the finish line. Has anyone seen or read the Maze Runner series? Like Seen the movies, read the books? Yeah, some of you out there? Um, I actually read them recently, last semester-ish, somewhere around that time. Um, if you haven't, I'll try not to spoil too much. Although, I mean... They have been out a while, so I don't feel that bad. Um, that, was, that was like years ago when I hadn't seen Avengers Endgame, and people are like, don't tell me anything. I'm like, well, it's been out for two years. P- people are going to talk about it. It's fine. Um, but basically, in the first book, so there's a bunch of boys that live in this large field called the Glade. Um, that's where they live. And they're, part of, they're basically part of a big experiment, kind of. Um, the Glade is surrounded on all sides by a giant maze, and it shifts every single night. Um, so I have this picture up here. Um, and it's almost there. It's coming back. There, it, oh, oh, too, wow. It's, this, is, this is the maze right here. Uh, but anyway, it is, so you'll see it in a second. The glade is in the center. That's where they live, and it's surrounded by this maze. There you go. So that's not actually what it looks like, like in the movie, but that was like a, somebody recreated it. Uh, it seems pretty accurate. So there's the glade in the middle. There's this maze around the outside. The maze walls are actually made of stone, um, so that's what they were. Um, so each day, they send out runners to scout the maze. Uh, they're looking out for new evidence or some way to escape. Um, they memorize the patterns, then they return to the glade, um, make maps from memory, and start again the next day, rinse and repeat every single day to try to figure their way out of the maze. The maze became a sort of idol, in a way, um, as they obsessed over beating it, and, but why wouldn't they when that seems to be the only way out of where they're in? Long story short, they eventually find their way out, annoyingly in a slightly different way in the book than in the movie. That's a little annoying. But when they escape, they realize that they are still in the experiment. Uh, this seems reminiscent of what Paul is saying here. He has made his way out of the monotony of continually striving to find worth and righteousness in his own accolades. He has made his way out of the maze out of running the same course each day, worshiping its patterns only to end in disappointment, that his path did not provide fulfillment. But that does not mean his journey is over. He is still in the midst of the race. He's finally just found the right direction to run. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. An interesting note about this. Paul encourages us to not only look ahead, um, but also to forget what lay behind us. Uh, I'm not sure if you knew it or not, but you can't show up to run a marathon. Well, most people can't. You can't just show up and run a marathon. I mean, if you can, that's awesome. Great for for you. Uh, That'd be very impressive. Uh, It takes time to train your body to handle that amount of exercise, Um, I had hoped to train for 16 weeks. That was my plan. I had a uh, 16-week plan that I found on Runner's World. It's awesome. Um, But unfortunately, things don't always go as we plan. So at the end of week three, my long run for the week, I had one long run each week, usually on Saturday, Sunday, somewhere in there, uh, was 14 miles that week. Um, After returning from Omaha, Nebraska on Sunday evening, so Julie and I went to Omaha, we got back, um, I strapped on my fanny pack, drank a glass of water, uh, and headed out. Um, so I ran, felt pretty great. But towards the end of the run, um, I felt a bit of a headache coming on, which was a bit abnormal for me. I don't really get headaches very often at all. Um, and my legs certainly felt heavy. Um, but hey, I had run almost 14 miles. Surely that's pretty normal. Heavy legs, headache. Um, after stopping, I started walking the half mile home, and I knew something was off. I caught my breath, but my headache continued, and I started to feel nauseous. I didn't even make it in the apartment before I asked Julie to bring me a glass of water. Uh, disclosure, I'm very bad at drinking water. I, I am chronically dehydrated. It's not good. Uh, a few of us actually made a group meet in college that we call pee time, and we just reported how many times we peed each day. I don't know why. I, I still have it on my phone. I was consistently the low man in that group. I just want you to know. Brent Henderson, nine times one day. What in the world? Oh my gosh. Anyway, I, I'm not good at hydrating myself is basically the point. Um, but when I drank the water, it just made me more nauseous, like, which is, just seemed strange. Uh, I walked up the stairs and collapsed on the living room floor, uh, trying to recover. After an hour, I had thrown up twice, and my fingertips had begun to turn blue. That's not good, not ideal. To my chagrin, we made our way to the ER, the only place open at midnight. Um, honestly, I need a rewards or punch card for that place. Like, I think I've been there so many times. Did we win? Yes! Yes! Oh, so proud of you guys. Camcorder film. That's you. Look at you. Yes! Oh, that makes me happy. Okay, my nerves are gone. I can say whatever I want to now. (laughs) Anyway. um, So we made our way to the ER. Um... I've been there so many times, it's bad. Long story short, I was severely dehydrated. So I was severely dehydrated um, to the point where I needed an IV. Like even drinking fluids, I could not keep them down. Um, I needed an IV. And I was good to go in a few hours. Like I just needed some fluids, felt much better. However, following two irregular readings on an EKG, I was told I needed to see a cardiologist and needed to keep my heart rate down until I could see him. Um, You know what doesn't keep your heart rate down? (laughs) Running. Sure doesn't. Um. So uh, it took nearly a month before I could be cleared by the cardiologist. So that's four weeks of training, not to mention the three weeks that I had trained before, which after just sitting for four weeks, is basically worthless. So here I am, nine weeks to go, uh, and basically back at square one. Um, could I even hope to run this race or was I gonna have to hold out yet another year? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. It can be easy to look back at time wasted or opportunities missed. When I was able to resume training, I couldn't help but be discouraged by the weeks of training I had missed out on, but that focus on lost time ironically only hinders us further. We can learn from the past, try to drink more water now, Um, but we cannot dwell on it. In the words of the Robinson family, we must keep moving forward. Sometimes I think it can be tempting to become stagnant learners and understanders. We get so wrapped up in what we learn and how much we know that we can forget to use it. I have mentioned it before, but I do like listening to the Bay Mom podcast. Uh, it was actually one of the primary forms of media I listened to while training for the marathon, just music, podcast. Um, the more I learned, the more I wanted to consume, but upon reflection, I felt like I was taking in so much and so little time that I barely had time to process it and wrestle with it, let alone apply it. But I mean, with all this information available at our fingertips, and when we live in a place centered on learning, how can we not exist in this state? I mean, we, we live at a college, um, a place of higher education. But here's the scary part. How much do we actually remember? I think I have 192 credit hours to my name at Truman. Um, but if I were to take a test over all those classes without studying, theoretically I should have learned it, right? Uh, how much would I actually retain? How much do you guys think you'd actually retain? You took a quiz over everything, what percentage? 10, 10, 30, 30, that's, that's impressive, JJ, you I'm feeling good. Uh, I was like, ah, 20% and I was like, even that feels generous to me. 20% of 192 credits, uh, five years of taking classes, whatever. Um, there's a reason people like to do hands-on activities. It seems to stick in your brain much more readily Um, Whenever you have an experience, you can associate with the learning. I think Paul is pointing towards that idea here. Um, Just because we may have gained the understanding that our righteousness comes through Christ does not mean we have reached the finish. In fact, we have barely even gotten started. There is still work to be done. It's like being in an escape room, which I love escape rooms, and finding a key, but then just saying, oh, my work here is done. The key is another step on the road to solving the room. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. But what does that next step or action actually look like? I think that's a good question. We have all this talk about striving, but what are we even striving for? Isn't that the million-dollar question we are all asking ourselves, seniors, everybody else? <laughs> uh, maybe that's just me. Uh, Paul states for what, what he is striving for pretty clearly. Um, I press on toward the goal For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of Christ. Certainly sounds like heaven. Striving to the end goal of heaven would make sense, after all. Uh, I feel like that's pretty heavily emphasized in my church growing up. Just living to get to heaven. Um, But N.T. Wright does make an interesting point uh, that I certainly think is worth entertaining. Regarding that assertion that this simply refers to heaven, he says this. But this can't be what Paul means. In verses 20 and 21, he speaks not of our going up to heaven, but of the Lord, King Jesus himself, coming from heaven to earth in order to transform the world. If this is the case, then the upward call is living out the call of Christ here, the same Christ that emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. When we choose to run the race that is following Christ, we are not choosing a stagnant queue line for entry to heaven. We are called to die to self, to be humble, as Reed noted, to be Christ-like rather than just Christian. In verse 20, Paul states that our citizenship is in heaven. Interesting thing about citizenship. Um, Philippi was a colony of Rome, assimilated into the Roman Empire about like a 100-ish years prior to when Paul was theoretically writing this. Um, but when Rome took over Philippi, um, they did not want the Philippians to move to Rome. Rome was already pretty crowded. Um, What they wanted them to do um, was stay there and actually spread the Roman ideology to the people around them, to say, and spread the Roman ideals. To the Philippians, then, being a Roman citizen meant bringing the culture of Rome to Philippi and the people around. Paul surely understands this and uses this same line of thinking. He states that our citizenship is in heaven. By the same logic presented before then, as citizens we are bringing heaven here through the love of Christ. We can see Paul exhibiting this himself. Um, we can see Paul's heart for this Christ-like service revealed later in verse 18. He says this. He says, "For many of whom I have often told you now, told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ." Paul's torn up about those who choose not to follow Christ. Ironic. I could be wrong, but I imagine Paul shedding tears was significant. Um, After all, the guy has been thrown into prison a few times, beaten, shipwrecked. The dude has been through a lot. So to shed tears probably means it really is tearing him up. And yet, this is what breaks him. Recall, this is the same guy who stoically presided over the execution of Stephen. Now, Paul has become Stephen, and his heart breaks for the Saul's in his life. Love and humility in the midst of enemies, that is the call of Christ, the race that we are running. But this call is easier said than done, of course. Um, Again, Paul uses words like straining and pressing for a reason. Those are not easy things when you think about straining towards something. Um, Let's not forget, once again, Paul is sitting in prison when he's writing this letter, so clearly it's not that easy. Um, We're naturally selfish, and in a culture that embraces individualism and looking out for yourself first, it can be easy to slip into this mentality, sometimes without even noticing it. You may or may not be familiar with the chop herd around the world, otherwise known as the day I put an ax in my foot on CCF spring break. (laughs) That's (laughs) what it is. Uh, That was my first year being in charge of the trip back in 2020, um, New Life Range Frontier Cove. Um, And when I say in charge, I was really just apprenticing from uh, Alex Gerke and Hannah Smiles, they they killed it, they were awesome. Um, Also, I was looking for a picture today um, and I was texting Alex back and forth, and he told me to say this, so here I am. Alex and Hannah are my favorites, and I, Nate Komar, would not have my toes without their fearless leadership. There you go, they were, they were awesome. Um, but that was my first year, being in charge, being not in a work crew. And I struggled with it, to be honest. Um, I struggled driving from group to group, seeing them serve the camp. I felt like I needed to be working. I couldn't be seen as lazy or skipping out on hard work that's required to help this camp run in the summer. Lucky for me, we had pulled up to the wood splitting crew, and they looked like they needed a breather. Here was my chance. I bet you can guess what happened next. Chop City. Um... So I'll spare you the details for the sake of time. This is one of those stories that if you want to hear the whole story, uh, please ask me. I'm happy to tell you the whole story, but for the sake of time, I will spare the details. Um, it's a little bit cringy, but also pretty funny. But I will give you a couple pictures. To not my foot. It's not my foot. Um, so that's me afterwards looking at my... Looking at the axe. Eyeing down my betrayer. Um, and then this, I asked pictures... And this is, all, this is the main thing Alex gave me. It was a text from Reed that said, hey, brother, we still have no hot water. And then Alex said he's at the hospital. So that, that just cracked me up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, seems right. Seems right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, there's that. So, um, yeah, it's a funny story. Um, But so when I took that axe from Dane Bossert, actually, Dane was the one shopping, and he took a break, let me uh, take a swing. Um, I didn't just want to be involved in helping the camp. Uh, Deep down, I was insecure. Uh, On the outside, it looked like I was giving someone a break, and I was. But on the inside, I was earning my worth and my reputation. The funny part is, once this accident happened, I couldn't even really do the job that I was supposed to for the rest of the week. I was gimping around with crutches made for a child. They were very small. And being forced to accept help from so many other people. So I went from wanting to be this exhibit, this uh, wanting to exhibit like someone who is willing to serve everyone else to now everyone else is having to serve me um, because I just can't do anything. Um, I went from wanting attention for the work I was doing to hating the attention, centering around what I couldn't do. Man, my, how the tables have turned. Another one for you. I worked at Glorieta between my sophomore and junior year here at Truman, Glorieta, New Mexico. Uh, and Reed was our speaker for the week. Um, and there's one image that I'll never forget that he that he talked about. Um, it's one that I'm sure he's used here. I can almost certainly remember it. I just can't remember exactly when. Um, but he was talking about the process of sanctification or being set apart, um, growing closer to God, that sort of process. And it seems to fit well with the process of straining to live like Christ. Has anyone ever reupholstered a couch? Me neither. <laughs> but Reed was describing the process. Um, when taking off the old upholstery, it comes off in large pieces at first, very large chunks. Um, big sections peel up, peel off together and headway is made rather quickly. Once the large sections are removed, however, the process becomes much more tedious. It takes time to remove all of the smaller flakes. In fact, you may never remove all of them. The decisions to reupholster the couch or run the race are only the beginning. It takes continual time, attention, and some struggle to get to the end, and it may have a few detours along the way. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, to what lies ahead. So if this race is going to be a long one, let me give you a few things I have learned from my own experience. Um, It's like runner's world for Christians. So number one, it really is, despite the cliches, more like a marathon than a sprint. I think we may be tempted to take Paul's language here and assume it's a sprint to the finish. Maybe you had a bookmark or something that said that. Um, Living life in the fast lane, but isn't that the same sort of thing we're talking about moving away from? The idea of progressing from one thing to the next without stopping to take a breath, desperately searching for the prize of fulfillment. I picture it like running in a hilly field. You see the hill in front of you, and you desperately want to see the other side. So you sprint to the top of the hill, and then you just see another one in the distance. Then you sprint to that one, and yet another hill lay on the other side. That's freaking exhausting. You must learn to pace yourself. I'm a firm believer that if you can run as far as your legs will carry, that you can run as far as your legs will carry you as long as you set the right pace. That's why the first couple miles can be so important. Running the race of life like Christ, life like Christ takes pacing. I can't listen to 30 full-length episodes of Bema in a couple weeks and instantly grasp it all. I can't fill every waking second with some sort of ministry role. I can't expect to say I can't expect myself to say all the right things, know what to do in every situation, or even be every shoulder to cry on. All I can do is take a step, take a breath, stay focused on the route, and repeat. Number 2. Speaking of fixing your eyes on the route and on Christ, that doesn't mean we ignore our fellow racers. There were over 3,300 people running the marathon and half marathon in October. That's a lot of people to run alongside. Each with their own story and pace. Strangely enough, a few of my fastest mile splits came while talking to this guy I met named Matt. I actually have a picture. Um, This is me running the race. This is like mile 11 to 13. I met this guy named Matt and we just started talking to each other while running. uh, So we talked from about mile 11 to mile 13 Uh, I got to know a little bit about him, about his family, uh, like what he does. Uh, He was a really nice guy. Um, And during that time, I was actually talking to him, strangely enough. The strain didn't seem as severe. Huh. It's almost like we were meant to walk in a community. How about them apples? One thing that has always drawn me to the racing community is the encouraging nature that comes with it. Sure, we are all in the race. There's somewhat, but there's... Sure, we are all in the race. There is so much encouragement just to finish, regardless of your time or your place. That's the coolest thing. I grew up playing sports where it's just, you win, the other person loses. But when you run a race somewhere, I mean, yes, there's still somebody who gets first place. But there are people just like standing on the side, like encouraging you, like keep going. And you pass people and they're like, you're doing great. And man, that's just like incredibly encouraging. So don't be afraid to encourage those racing next to you. It might be just what they need to get over the next hill. Number three, you need sustenance along the way. Try as you might. Running 26.2 miles without any snack to refuel is tough, and without any water is just plain stupid. Trust me, you know, we say hydrate or dihydrate, and I (laughs) (laughs) hydrated. Yeah, I did. Stopping at those stations. (laughs) Stopping at those stations to get water, to get sustenance, to get those little gel packs. Um, may cost you a few, te- few seconds, but their value as sustenance far outweighs the time lost. Like you lose a few seconds standing there taking a drink of water, but in the end, you don't pass out from dehydration. Um, engage and wrestle with scripture. Find individuals from which to glean wisdom. Paul even lo- alludes to this later in the chapter. when He says, brothers, join in me, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Take a moment to rest. Sabbath is key. You're not strong enough to finish the race without a little help along the way. I am not strong enough to finish the race without a little help along the way. Number four, you can run pretty much anywhere. Uh, Running requires no special equipment. and can be done rain or shine, cold or warm, although most people prefer the latter of both of those pairings. Uh, You can run on a trail or in the mountains down the sidewalks of New York or through the plains of a ranch in the plain or through the plains or on a ranch. Um, The good news is you can run your race with Christ anywhere as well. Most people are not called to be ministers. Most of you will not have jobs in ministry and that's okay. Maybe your race will be run while working in a hospital, maybe in a school, in a factory, in your own home, In a USPS truck in Minnesota, shout out to to Caleb Jansen. Um, The location does not diminish the quality or the value of the run. There are still people around you who you can pour into, um, who you can engage in a life of discipleship with. Number five, there is joy. (laughs) Look at that. Look at me. Smile for the camera. That's like mile 25. Uh, (laughs) Sure, running is tough. You have to listen to your body, pace yourself wisely, and push through the mental game of keeping your legs churning for hours on end. But even in the exhaustion, it makes me feel alive. The heart pounding, the lungs pumping, the legs burning, the entire body working in tandem energizes me for the rest of the day. I can ease stress, clear my head, And in the same manner, running the race with Christ as the focus will certainly present its challenges. It can be draining and confusing as we fight against ourselves and the idols around us, desperately vying for our attention. But through it all, I think we can look back at verse 12. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. When you've increased your pace too much and you need to take a step back, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. When you feel that side stitch way earlier than you expected, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. When you're tackling the big hill at mile 15, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. When you start to wonder if your legs can even make the last few miles, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ calls us his own. And when we race toward him, he will not fade, but he will remain. And when all parts of the body work together to strive toward him, I think of spring break, the encouragement activities, the worship. It's truly a beautiful thing. Here's my conclusion. One solution is a little marathon training, little post-sermon engagement. Take that, Leah. Um, I am running a race in June though, so if anybody wants to run with me. uh, Or um, the other conclusion is I don't have one. I don't have one because we're still in the midst of the race. We're still straining, still pressing on toward the goal. We're still struggling with the tension that is finding our worth and identity in Christ rather than what we can do or be. We still find ourselves drawn toward the maze from time to time. We have setbacks and lose time during training, but we learn from our mistakes and keep moving forward. We run at a pace we can handle, taking time for a breath and sustenance along the way. We are wrestling with scripture, dialoguing with others, and acting out what we uncover, learning to be citizens of heaven here on earth. We run our our race wherever we may be, Loving our coworkers, living a life of discipleship with our friends and neighbors, and humbly paying attention to the needs of those around us. Finally, in the midst of the struggle and the strain of the race, we're sandwiched by joy on both sides. Christ has gone before and made us his own. In that, may we find peace. And he is waiting for us at the finish, legs wobbly, breathing heavily when the race has ceased. Please pray with me. Uh, Lord, we we thank you for the race. We thank you that you have gone before us, that you have paved the way, um, and we thank you for so many opportunities um, that you give us to stumble, um, and yet you're still there. Um, may we run it well, Lord, um, show us how to um, love those around us, to care for those to um, shed tears like Paul for his enemies, show us how to have compassion. Um. Thank you. Uh, may we finish the race, um, and may we find you at the end.